Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. And for our next stop on this adventure, we are joined by Cotswold Outdoor Ambassador and award-winning endurance adventure athlete, Jamie Ramsey. After 12 years working for an international communications agency, he wasn't happy with the direction of his life and realised if he didn't make some drastic changes, then things would continue to spiral downwards. His solution was to quit his job after just being promoted to partner, fly to Vancouver and run 17,000 kilometres to Buenos Aires solo and unsupported. Following the success of this adventure, Jamie's dedicated his life to pushing his perceived boundaries and each adventure he undertakes is designed to challenge him in new ways. And we talk about some of these adventures on the podcast, but if you want to see the full list, you can head to Jamie's website where you can see all of the different adventures that he's completed. It really is incredible. And if you were listening to last week's episode with Helen Glover, then you'll know that this is the second in a two-part series working with Cotswold Outdoor, and that is exactly who I want to talk about now. Thank you so much to Cotswold for bringing us this episode and bringing us these amazing guests. They want to encourage everyone to play their part in protecting the planet so that we can all continue to enjoy the outdoor spaces we love, which is why they've launched the Save Our Outdoors campaign. From repairing a recycling trusted kit to ensuring you buy the right kit first time around, their in-store experts are on hand to make sure that you get the most out of your outdoor experience time and time again, whilst doing your bit to protect the places that we love most. We reference some images that are available on the Cotswold website at um, cotswoldoutdoor.com forward slash news dot html. And on this website that we speak about in the podcast, you can see some images of some of the UK's best and most famous landmarks that in a lifetime, just in 50 years time, if we're not looking after them properly and not looking after our outdoors, you can see what they look like. And there's a nice mock up of half of what they look like now and half the images, what they might look like if we don't take care of them. So if you want to have a look at those and understand what we're talking about, then head to that link I've just spoken about. It will also be in the podcast notes as well. This was such a fun, energetic and important conversation, so looking forward to getting into it. And without further ado, let's head straight into this episode of the Outside and Active podcast, the last one of season seven with Jamie Ramsey. Jamie, hello. Welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. It's great to have you here and it's great to be able to have the opportunity to chat about adventure, something that you are extremely well versed in. And something I really love talking about, really really happy to be chatting with you this afternoon it looks like you're about to head off on an adventure if you're watching on the video because he's got his hats on he's got the jacket on he's ready to go have you been outdoors today um i have been outdoors today um but i've just come the reason i'm so dressed up is i've spent the last eight days in the pyrenees doing a bit of skiing and snowshoeing uh so my house has been left completely no heating for the last eight days so it and it's about three degrees here so it's absolutely freezing so just wearing the gear that i use outdoors but indoors <laughs> i don't blame you at the moment with the temperatures it has been in the uk I don't blame you at all um we're going to kick off this podcast with something that we do on everything every single episode and it's where i offer you a piece of advice but it's not from me it's from someone who's been on the podcast before and they do not know who they're leaving their 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 advice for and this one comes from helen glover an, an amazing gb rower 
and, and a fantastic athlete. And it was great to have a chat to her. And you know what? We get all sorts of lovely, weird bits of advice, really motivational bits. But her advice is actually really, really practical. And it was great for the people that are listening that have children. Um, and it's if you've got kids and they're being difficult or they're irritable, and you're trying to get them outdoors. You're trying to get them in a cold or a rainy day out for a walk. And uh, yeah, like I said, they're being difficult. Tell them the first one to find a snail wins a biscuit. And apparently that works for her. So if you need to get them outdoors, set the challenge, go and find a snail. And if you're the first one, then you'll win a biscuit. So that's the advice that I'm passing along to you. If you, if you ever need it, or if you have done, if you need a way to, 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 to get kids outdoors and you're listening, that's a way to go about it. I'm looking forward to using that while I'm playing with my uh, nieces and nephews and godchildren. And when they're kicking off, I will remember Helen's words. <laughs> and going into that, all about being outdoors and active. So the question again that we ask to everyone that comes on is, what do you love, Jamie, about being outside and active? Uh, I think for me, being outdoors and active or outside and active is because it's kind of a therapy for me. I think I went through and I'm sure we'll brush on it later, but I kind of spent 12 years working in the city in a kind of an office block surrounded by buildings and not that much green spaces. And it didn't it didn't react very well with me on a mental level. And I very luckily managed to steer away from that into a life of adventure and being outside and have found that that kind of the calmness of the outdoors and the kind of serenity of the mountains and the peacefulness of the deserts and that kind of stuff have, have just make me an incredibly content person, but also provide a platform where I can push myself and discover more about myself because we all have self-imposed limitations. And I think it's until you put yourself into an environment that makes you think do I have the skill set to get through this or what do I need to build on? Or like if I dig deep, is there that thing I need? And the outdoors gives you that. So mm. it's like, for me, I think it's like a self therapy place where I go out and I learn about myself and it kind of keeps me grounded and happy and motivated, which is I think something really positive. Yeah. It was interesting reading that, like you said, it, it, it was, um, like a moment where you said, no, I'm done with this path that I'm going on now. It almost seemed like quite a cathartic moment where you were kind of revelation, no, I'm go- I'm going to embark on this new journey. What was that first adventure? What was the first thing you did when you made that realisation you changed that in your life? I think quite interesting that there was actually, it's kind of like a two-part answer to that question because there was the adventure before the moment and then the adventure after the moment. Uh, And when I had the realisation that I I wasn't happy in the world that I found myself in the city, it was by looking back or kind of rewinding through everything I'd been through in life and trying to find that moment where I felt happy, content, satisfied, and I liked myself and was like proud of what I was doing. And that had been at the end of a 240-kilometer run through Vietnam. And I'd never done anything like that. And the sense of of achievement at the end of that was the thing that when I had my moment, which made me change, it was going back to that. Like, I want to recreate that. Mm. And then that led to me thinking, well, let's quit my 12-year career in financial communications and go and run the length of the Americas, which is quite an extreme decision. But it was all 
it was sparked by just re really wanting to recreate that feeling of of contentment which had come from being on an adventure and what gets you excited about a challenge like i imagine we we speak to loads of um, ultra runners and adventurers that go there was something about that idea that just sparked a fire in my stomach that was just like yeah that I can I can visualize that that's exciting that's different and you, you said about and well I want to chat about this as well as as seeing where you're you're pushing through boundaries and setting challenges for yourselves and I, I really want to explore that as well but what gets you excited for an adventure whether it be you know hiking cycling running anything like that so completely in an un-irresponsible way, um, it's the unknown. Yeah. It's the unknown of what is coming, unknown of how I'm going to be tested. And, and I say, like, in, like safety is always very much front of mind. I always have tracking devices. I always roughly know where I'm going to go. I, I have cultivated and collected all these skill sets, which will allow me to go out and do adventures. But I never plan an adventure fully i never know where i'm going to end on the first day or what's around the corner i don't look at the map and think i must go and see these things because i really believe that when you go on an adventure no matter how short or how long you don't want to know what's coming because it's that unexpected um discovery of what's around the corner that is exciting for me and i feel it when i'm getting ready for an adventure be it the last one was cycling across the usa I remember someone asking me what my route was. And then two days before the adventure started, I changed the whole route, like all 7,000 kilometers. And the guy was like, how can you just do that? I was like, well, it doesn't make any difference. I don't know where I'm going to be on the other routes. So I don't know where I'm going to be on this route. And it's that just, just not knowing. And then it's the voyage of discovery, both personally and actually physically going through these beautiful places. So, and it gets me every time. And it, and is this why you do a lot of your challenges solo, unsupported? Is that because, again, you just want to see where your own capabilities are at? Yeah, it is. It's a weird one to explain because when I'm doing an adventure and I've done with other, other people, like you have a much more set routine about what you're going to achieve in a day. So you wake up in the morning, you discuss it and you go, we're going to do 50 kilometers and we're going to fit, finish here. And then we'll set up camp and then we'll have dinner. When I'm doing something like running that first 50 K is a kind of, it sounds arrogant, but it's a sort of expected. You are going to be able to do that by not knowing where you're going to finish that day, then you have the wonderful opportunity to see how far you can stretch it. Like, can I do 60, 70, 80 kilometers? And like, and it's that pushing that boundary, that kind of your, your perceived limit is so exciting. And that's where I get my kicks. So it's like always just like trying to go that bit further. And that's what solo adventuring does. Mm. Um, But also, you're more in the moment when you're alone. If you're with someone else, you're chatting or they may be having a problem that you're trying to problem solve with them, or you might be having a problem that they're trying to help with. And it takes away from that kind of just voyage of discovery on a, on a kind of personal mental health kind of area. So, you know, that's why I like doing solo adventures. So that first, that first challenge, that first adventure, the, the Vietnam 240 kilometers to kilometers. Firstly, had you been to Vietnam before? And then secondly, what did you learn about yourself during that during that adventure? What was that low point that you I imagine you inevitably hit that you when you thought, okay, this is tough, or how can I keep going? Like, was there that moment? 
Um, there were quite a few moments like that. Very quickly, to put it into context, I was basically meant to be entering in a race called the Jungle Marathon, which was this 240-kilometer, like, properly organized, managed run through this jungle. I was like, brilliant, we've got it already, got the kit, you've bought your flights, you're raising money for charity, and you've told everyone you're going to be doing it. And then a month before, they canceled the event. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what What am I going to do? Like, I, I'm just nothing and they offered the alternative of going to do this other run but it was going to cost two thousand pounds to give it another flight i was like i don't have that much money so after a bit of moping around something just clicked in my brain i think this is the bit i'm proud of actually before it even started or finished the run i said you know what i'm going to go and do it anyway what's to stop me running 240 kilometers through vietnam and i and i did have the safety blanket of having been there in 2007 but I was like, you know, I'm just going to go to Vietnam. And I just packed a bag, shoved in all my holiday clothes and books and everything into my backpack, landed in Da Nang, and just for six days ran 240 kilometers down the highway. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, I don't really, I I think it's because you're trying to mentally, you blank out the negative parts. Yeah. If you, when you're doing an adventure, negative parts, that's the exciting part. That's the bit where you problem solve and you come out the end and you feel positive about it. So it kind of masks over. And if you remember those things, you would go back and do another adventure. So I kind of have this, I don't know how it just blanks out the negatives, but I do remember just overcoming things like my backpack rubbed so bad it was bleeding. Um, I had white um, undershorts. And every night they were come, like full of blood and I had to like squeeze the blood out and because I didn't have, I didn't know what I was doing. I only had one pair of these things. So I was wearing the same ones for six days, just blood stained and horrible. Um, and, you know, I, 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 that's exciting. That's not a low point. That's just happy. And you just, you deal with like the humidity. You're like, right, how do I problem solve this? Get up at 5 a.m. And then you just get up at five. How do I deal with the car? change side of the road whatever. so there weren't low points there was just that it was a beginning of a progress a uh, process of learning what i was would say is the bit i'm disappointed about in myself is i had that moment of euphoria and then i went back to my job and went right. back to normal life and it just like i'd had this moment and it was amazing and i didn't hold on to it i kind of shelved it went back to the nine to five. So I think the race was kind of June. I can't remember. I think it was June. And then it was November that year that I had the kind of crashing realization that I had to move on. And it was like, why didn't I have the courage to act upon what I already knew at that point? Um, so that would be if I was being hypercritical yeah. of myself. Um, People are always interested, and I think the answer is going to be especially interesting with you, given what you've just said about how you plan or the lack of pl- concrete planning, let's say, around these adventures, food and, and nutrition and hydration. How was your approach in that first, well, in Vietnam? Has it changed to then, say, most recently cycling across the USA or you know, is there a plan or is it, I'm just going to eat what I come across? Did you take certain amounts with you thinking about that? Or is it like you've said about the kind of general planning, kind of living by the wind? So when it comes to planning, uh, very much similar. Like I, I have a start point, I have an end point, and that's kind of very flexible. And like cycling across America, if I had, um, if I'd had more time or I'd gone too quickly, I would just add a bit more onto the trip. Um, the thing that I've learned from Vietnam through to now, um, is kit. 
um, like in running the Americas, when I look at what I packed on that adventure, it's insane. I had like laptops, books. I had super dry hoodies. Um, I was running with running trainers that um, I've been using to train in. I had a massive Trangia cooker. Like what? I was pushing <laughs> this stuff over the Andes at 4,800 meters. And what I kind of, and I think lots of people do this, is they fall into this thing of like, I need the kit, what's the cheapest? And they buy the cheapest kit, and that is what I did. And I, I've gone through the whole buy the cheapest, then buy the slightly less cheap, and then and then you realize that actually investing in the best piece of kit means you just use that one piece of kit forever and you don't need to kind of keep buying new kit. So if I was going back now and replanning my first adventure, I would have spent more time getting advice and you know you know now i'm the cotswold outdoor ambassador so i have access to all these people who can tell me the right like <laughs> kit to buy which is which is a heaven heaven uh, sent because you do like even though i've done all these adventures now i still need that advice so i i kind of now planning hasn't changed kit buy the right kit because if you have the right kit you have a better journey if you have a better journey you have better memories if you have better memories you're more likely to do it again so it's that kind of positive domino effect the... definitely yeah, yeah. it is i, I want to hone in on i'm glad you talked talking about it there the running the americas because when you look at your website there's so many amazing figures of how you know distances that you've traveled in the country you know 30 countries that you've been in the amount of ventures you've done I think it's 28. But when you, there was one that really stood out and it was across, I think the fact that you went 2014, 2015, 17,000 kilometers run across the America. I really, really want to know where that idea came from and how many people told you you were silly. <laughs> um, the idea came from when I was deciding to quit my career. I'd just been made a partner in a, in a communications um, and I was sitting there going, if I'm going to quit my job, I can't just run a marathon somewhere. I have to do something a bit bigger. And I, I'd already come to the conclusion I wanted to do running. Running was my passion. Traveling was my passion. Cultures and that kind of stuff. So obviously I went, I'm going to run around the world. And then I kind of looked at a map and went, wow, that country's really dangerous. And that's really dangerous. And I can't. And wow. And I really wanted to to own this adventure i wanted to be the person doing all the logistics all the planning um the financing everything uh because it was my adventure uh so that around the world didn't work love charlie borman and um oh um um ewan mcgregor so obviously looked at going from john O'Groats to cape town what they did on motorbikes i could run that and then same thing happened so actually when I went to America, when I settled in America, it was like Vancouver is a really nice town. Buenos Aires is a really nice town. Why not run between the two two languages? British passport will get you into every single country without needing visas. Um, I'm not into records or firsts or anything. So the whole, whole thing from Ushuaia, I mean, Alaska to Ushuaia didn't really interest me. But also, I did not have the skill set to run from Alaska to Vancouver at that point. So it was kind of it was the easy option was how, how, how I look at it. It's, um, it's it was a man, in my mind, it was manageable. Yeah. It's funny thinking that that was the easy option. Thinking that people objectively yeah. looking at it going, oh. so, so talk me through some of the countries that you went through on the way there. So you're obviously Buenos Aires and Vancouver, but what are some of the highlights in those countries that you're hitting through some of the challenges as well? Cause there must've been when you're traveling that far, I mean, firstly, how long did it take you? 
but then you must see some beautiful sights and experience some in- incredible culture. Yeah, so uh, it took me 367 running days to complete. That's the PR side of me working. Um, It took me about 400 and something days in total. Um, I came back from Panama for my sister's wedding because – you know, that was more important than doing an adventure and being yep. a like survivalist out there in the world of like family and all that. So every single day you learn when you're on an adventure that every single day is going to be an amazing day. And even if it's the worst day ever, someone will do something that will make that day amazing. So that kind of means all, all the countries were amazing. Um, I loved running through America. The way I looked uh, at the USA, it was like my training ground. Uh, everyone spoke English. I could buy stuff in shops. I understood. I knew how everything worked. So when I hit Mexico and I'd spent the last kind of 80 days with everyone going, Mexico, they're going to kill you and they're going <laughs> to chop your head off and the police will extort you. And you're like, you're full of all this noise in your head. And then you arrive in Mexico and it is the most amazing country. Everyone is so kind. They take you in. The police were like paying for my lunches, showing me the safest routes to go. There was never a moment where I felt any sort of um, kind of danger from anyone. Um, so that just once I hit through Mexico, I was like, this is just amazing. And that just allowed me to to enjoy Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. Uh, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama. And then I went home for my sister's wedding when I got to Panama and realized how much I hated, not hated, strong word, how much I felt uncomfortable being back in Europe and how much I missed the road. And so it was really nice to have that break, even and see my family and do all that kind of wedding stuff, which was brilliant. But when I got back, I felt. I'm back home again. And that's when I hit Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, and then Argentina. So like in terms of like physical places that like were demanding, um, kind of when I was, it was mostly in South America. So there was the Satura Desert, which is in uh, north of Peru. There was about 200 and something kilometer section where everyone told me I was going to get murdered and ended up getting police escorts, food poisoning, having to run a, a marathon in a desert, not being able to eat or drink. Um, brilliant. So much fun. And the photos are amazing. <laughs> just like pushing this, pushing a baby stroller through like an absolute windswept desert. And then um, as I kind of got further south, the Atacama desert, always in my head had been this thing that, as you were saying earlier about, did people tell you you were mad? Like everyone had said as I started, you can't run across the Atacama Desert and you can't run across the Andes. And when I arrived there, these places were just like the most beautiful places. And I realized that the person who started the run, yeah, he could not do those challenges. But having spent so much time on the road, bringing together all the skill sets you need actually was relieved to be there because it added a bit of jeopardy to the trip again. And um, so running across Atacama and and the Andes in particular was just mind blowing uh, and absolutely loved every minute of it. Was it ever emotional? It's a weird one because I, I was watching a video the other day of uh, I'm writing a book at the moment about it. And I, when I arrived in San Diego, I have this, I had a kind of, mentality when i started which was put in success points 
Uh, so you're never failing as long as you. So one of the success points was quitting my job. One of the success points getting to the start line. One was getting to um, bottom of USA and then Central America, then um, Argentina. So when I arrived at um, San Diego, I remember making a video going, I really thought I'd feel something now that I'm here. I've just run 2,900 kilometers. Or I can't remember what it is. I was like, I should feel this massive sense of something. And I didn't. And it kind of was a good thing to, to register at that point that you, you shouldn't be looking for that sense of achievement at the end of an adventure because that's ridiculous. You should be feeling sense of achievement every single day. And that's where you get your enjoyment. That's why we go outside. You don't, you don't look, you don't get excited about the fact that you're going to stop being outside. You want to be excited that you're outside every day. So I learned to just enjoy the moment of every single day. And I did, there were times that were hard. You know, I had all these numbers in my head and how far I was running and where I needed to be like long-term. And I made some ridiculous kind of, I, I went, as, when I was at the wedding, people were like, when are you going to finish? And I was, that was June. And I was like, well, I'll finish on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Having not, didn't know the distance, didn't know the number of days, nothing. And I remember landing in uh, Panama and then getting across, I had to take a boat around the Darien Gap to Turbo in, in Colombia. And I got onto the kind of thing. I was like, I've got 7,600 kilometers to do in 181 days, which when you do the maths, is something like exactly 42 kilometers every single day for eight, 181 days, no days off. I was like, you idiot. <laughs> so I did then spend and I got injured and then I got ill and then all the days started getting taken away from me. Um, but in my head, I was like, I have to be in Buenos Aires on the 31st of December. So that kind of pushed me and drove me forward. So as much as I was enjoying every day, there were times where I think I was putting too much pressure on myself to get somewhere. Um, yeah, and I remember as I arrived close to Buenos Aires, going, "What have you just done? Like, you could have eat this out over another two, three months, and what all you've done is you've set a date to finish, which means you will finish on that date, and that is the wrong way to look at right. outside. It's not, it's not a healthy way of mm. doing things to put time limits on stuff. So, I mean, this book's going to be extremely, yeah, extremely interesting, but and obviously we could chat about it for ages." Um, but interested to know, is there a piece of advice that Buenos Aires Jamie would have given to Vancouver Jamie having got there? Oh, I think it's 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 a difficult one because I'm really proud of the tenacity that I proved to myself for getting to Buenos Aires. So to put it into context, 28 days before I got to Buenos Aires, I was 29 days. I was 1,575 kilometers away and something switched in my head and I covered 58 kilometers average every day for 28 days without taking a break wow. in 40 degree plus heat, pushing a baby stroller down a road with no hard shoulder. So I'm massively proud of that I managed to do that. However, Buenos Aires, Jamie, would have said to Vancouver, Jamie, enjoy more of the surroundings when you're and there were a few moments where there were i met interesting people but this little motor in my head was saying keep going keep going keep going and i didn't stop and enjoy and you know learn from people who were interesting and doing equally 
strange adventures. And I, I wish I spent a bit more time doing that because you learn a lot about yourself running, but you learn more about the world by interacting. So I wish I'd done a bit more of that. Amazing. And I was going to ask you about your motivation. You've kind of mentioned it, but I also saw a quote on your website. When things get tough, I simply sit down and remember the life I used to live. And that's all I need to get back up again. Is that what rings through your head when you're doing these things? Yeah, there's lots of moments on, especially, especially on running the Americas where, you know, you would, it would get tough and you would scream and shout at the, at the world around you going like, why is happening to me and da, 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 da. And I would quite honestly sit down on the side of the road and remember working in an office, remember that and say to myself, you made a conscious decision to put yourself knowingly into a very difficult world of like where the elements are going to be against you. Um, and it's going to be difficult mentally. So you can either quit and go back or you stand up and carry on. And every single time I've just stand up, carry on. And that's got me through cycling across Australia, running across Iceland, hard times in Mongolia. Like it, it's just that you made a decision to be here. You know the alternative. So just keep going. And I love that. I love being able to tell myself that. And, and across your amazing adventures, you've been to places that have amazing beauty and, and the outdoors, which is amazingly beautiful in itself, but you've seen some amazing things, but you've probably seen the impact on those things as well, which is why you're working with Cotswold Outdoor and, you know, the Save Our Outdoors campaign. So talk to me in your words, what that's about and why it's so important to you. Well, I think being outdoors, I understand the, the benefits I get from it. Uh, so, you know, quite often when you're on a mountain, you see all these people around, part of you sitting there going, oh my God, all these people are here. And then you've got to sit there going, wait a minute, if they weren't here, where would they be? They'd be down the pub, they'd be playing computer games, they'd be sitting at home, they'd be shopping or something like that. So they need to be there. Um, but then on all the adventures I've been on, and, and ha- it, it has been in the UK, luckily not to the extent of other places around the world, but when I was, I've been running through the Americas, and you just watch people throwing litter out the car. You see people just, you see litter along the road. Um, so I kind of, it made me, of all the beautiful places I've been all the way around the world, it's instilled this thing inside me, which is I want to clean it. And I think it's curious, is this always like, leave nature as you found it. Mm. And I think that's wrong. I think you should leave nature better than you found it. You know, if you're going to go for a hike somewhere, take a bag and just pick up some litter. It's so cathartic to know you're cleaning up the world that you love. And I, like last October, when I, I kind of, with Cotswold Outdoor, I just said, I'm going to go and spend a month going around the UK uh, and picking up litter every day. And I'm going to do adventures, I'm going to go to beaches, I'm going to, we uh, partnered up with Trash Free Trails. And it's just like, let's just go and pick up litter. And then people, the great thing is that people come up and speak to you and you can educate them and say, you know, this is why I'm picking up the litter. This is why uh, it's important. These are the kind of, and, and then you learn things from other people. And even just with the research that Cotswold Outdoor did, like I was learning stuff that I didn't realize because things like the dog owner stuff, like the, the nature, nature sees dogs as predators. I'd never even thought of that. I was just thinking wow. poo bags. Um, <laughs> and that was all that my, that's all the dogs did to me. So it's um, working with Cotswold Outdoor on this is just really it's great that you can be part of a of a kind of a company or a group of people 
who are passionate about actually doing something positive. And it's not by telling people off, it's by educating people. And by educating people, I think we've got a much better way of, one, clearing up the world as we see it now, but also setting the kind of the way we treat nature to the generations below who watch us. And when they see adults not throwing paper and picking litter up and that kind of stuff, then it will become ingrained in them going forward. So, um, and as I love seeing all these kind of groups that are coming out from inner cities and you, you know how much good that's doing to these people. Like they're coming out and they're, they're seeing a whole new world. They're benefiting from the sun. They're benefiting from the the beauty and the the kind of the challenges they're putting on themselves, but then to be told why the places are special at the same time is great, and they're kind of getting this sense of not ownership, but we do own it. We own the nature now, and we're holding it in trust for the people who are coming next. So, yeah, I think it's just really important. I just because we've been around, humans have been around for so long, and it's only in the last. 50 years or 100 years, we decided to trash it. Doesn't make any sense. And we're all like consumers, consumers, consumers. And that's not a, it's not a sustainable way to be. And, you know, working with Cosworld and other, uh, other brands and things, you can say, look, just buy the best or fix the stuff you've got, or, um, you know, that you don't, that consumerism of buy quick and fast, it doesn't have, it doesn't need to be like that in the adventure world. Um, yeah, yeah. So. That, that was going to be as a question I asked in, in terms of offering advice for people that's listening and really keen that people can always come away with tips and tricks and advice to actually, like I said, be more sustainable in this instance. So, of course, we want to encourage people to be outside. It's what you love. It's what, you know, it's, we know the benefits it has on mental, mental and physical well-being. By encouraging people to go outside and take on these adventures, sometimes, it, you know, you can go outside and you can walk with just, you know, the clothes on your back and the pair of trainers. But sometimes these adventures, you need kit and equipment and, and other sorts of accessories. So like, like you said there, buying the best, being able to repair things, reuse things. What's your tip and advice for people that want to embark on more adventures, but want to do it in a safe and sustainable way? I think the, the, the main essence I bring to this, well, like all of the positives on that side, you also got the enjoyment side. So if you're buying the right kit, you're going to enjoy it more. So I, I kind of think about what piece of kit am I going to buy? And what kind of adventures can I do in it? Like not, I buy this jacket, for hiking this jacket for skiing this jacket for something else so i've got a jacket downstairs that is my hiking jacket i've just used it as my skiing jacket um and i know that if i buy tenacious tape and then goes wrong with it i can patch it up if i lose the down in it you can take it to cost what i do they'll restuff it that there is a service there so i think that the most important thing i would say is think about what it is you want to do and make a list of the kit you what you think you need to buy um, and it's things like sleeping mats, um, uh, sleeping bags, tents, your jackets you're going to wear. And then go into the stores, ask experts or look online. And there's lots of information to see and make sure you're buying the best kits with the best reviews. Because um, once you bought it, it will last a long time. If you look after it, you kind of clean it, you kind of pack it away every year. If you're not using it, put it away responsibly. Now, this kit will last for a very long time um, if you just have the knowledge. And the place to get the knowledge is speaking to experts, and experts will tell you what shoes to buy, 
what backpacks that will fit you and like what attachments they have on that will serve you for other adventures. Mm. So it's just every time you're buying something, just think, what else can I use it for? And like, just limit the amount you buy. Um, which is great that a com- company like Cosmo Outdoor, whose whole thing about making uh, existence is as a shop, but they're telling you to buy less and yeah. buy better. Um, so it kind of this question kind of leads on from that. If you're, if I'm listening and I'm planning on going on an adventure, whether it be a walk that's a couple of hours with family, or if, whether it be seventeen thousand kilometers across America, what's what's the most important thing that I can think about when I'm embarking on traveling and adventuring? I would, so most of the kind of key items of kit that you would use, um, you want to make sure that that kit is going to leave you as a like piece of machinery that's going to be taking on these ventures in the best possible condition. So for me, shoes, make sure you have the right shoes, because if your shoes are rubbing or they're not waterproof or they're not giving you the support they need on day one, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> it's going to make the rest of your adventure miserable. If you have a Gore-Tex jacket that is not going to keep you dry and your everything underneath is going to get wet, you're going to be miserable. If your tent is not up to the kind of environment. So just make sure you are buying, yeah, the right kit to be able to, to make sure that you selfishly are in the best form because like i always tell people like people spend so much time thinking about the kit when you're doing the actual adventure but when like when i'm doing my adventures i spend more time in my tent than i do actually doing the adventure so i want my tent to be as comfortable and warm and easy to put up and dry as i possibly can because that's where i'm spending the most time so yeah just think about making be selfish i would say i like that i like that and just thinking back to what you said about you'd never thought about the dogs being a predator to the outdoors and, and like not thinking about it in that way. And it just reminded me of, we, we spoke about this with Helen um, on the, on the last episode about the Cotswold outdoor where they've, they've, they've marked up images of well-known areas in the UK, the Lake district, Dodo door others, mm-hmm. and what they look like now and what they could look like in, you know, the near future, a lifetime away where, you know, Dirtle Door, the, the arch is, is caving in and the, the effect that we're having on, on and like I said last last time, I, I really do implore people to go and have a look at this and you can see it on cotsworldoutdoor.com forward slash news. It, it, it really is shocking because it makes you kind of go, it's easy if you're not thinking about it to go out of sight, out of mind. But actually when it's, we, we treasure these landmarks and we think so much about it, whereas the things that we're doing now, and it's kind of like what you said, we're deciding to trash it in the last hundred years and we've been around for, for however long it, it really has an impact on you doesn't it? it makes you really think it does and hopefully there are enough people who are kind of emotionally hit by it that they are going to help educate and get out there and do the work that needs to be done now because it it could be too late and that would be devastating because especially like you look at the uk we have such beautiful places like of all the places i've been around the world i'm going to be slightly biased here scotland is probably my favorite like i that's where i grew up i spent a lot of time on the west coast i've done adventures there it's my happy place the idea of that changing and not being there for generations afterwards just because of simple things we could be doing now and it's there is all the stuff we could be doing outside every day, picking up litter, you know, diversifying the tracks we 
go on like we don't all need to go to the same mountain there are lots of other mountains just because instagrammers say that being at the top of this mountain is the best does not mean that's the best mountain to go to like go and visit other places and where you see the kind of erosion on one mountain make sure you're not taking it to another one you're being responsible you're staying on the tracks um i know there's there's a lot on kind of like fires people love going out and having fires but they don't realize that they're just killing the soil integrity underneath as well as leaving an eyesore so it's just like um it's very simple we just got to look after it but yeah i've got a bit in my head on that one um yeah no you're you're completely right and i think sometimes we might think that doing small things like you said um not having a not having a fire or sticking to the path might seem futile in its in its um, on its own, but actually, if we're all doing it, we're all playing that part, and as a community, we're we're making a massive impact or a massive positive impact, and taking away that negative impact on the outdoors and the place that we want future generations to be able to visit in the same way that in the same way they are now. So it, it's really interesting, and I'm interested to, to know from you, having a platform, you know, being able to act, social media and write books. Do you feel like there's? Do you have a feel like you want to use your platform to make a difference and spread these messages and awareness. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone who, who can help educate people on, on this kind of stuff is obviously going to be helpful. And if, you, if the audience are hearing it and they're thinking, right, I'll, I'll do something slightly different. That's great. But then also in our actions, we have to be different. And I'm very conscious that, you know, we can all talk about the little things of picking up the litter and stuff. There's also the way we travel, the way we live, yeah. the way we recycle um, the other products, not just the adventure products we buy, just the other products, the sustainable everything in life and like i'm very conscious that yeah i've flown all the way around the world so my adventures now that i'm looking at you know that it's i live an hour from the pyrenees where my next adventure is going to be um i've got to do something in the uk i'm not going to travel to these far from places because you know there is so much on our doorstep we don't need to be doing these long trips to go and experience beauty nature and get all the benefits so um yeah so i have to i think with that audience you have to live by kind of um kind of you have to have your own conscious on the on the on that but also i love when people send me messages and saying can you help me do this better um what kit should i be buying this kind of stuff if i'm going on an adventure to this part of the world what should i do Mm. like where should i go and see and you have that opportunity to say well why have you thought about going here instead and they do, and they come back, and I've had people send me messages going, oh, my God, thanks for that recommendation. Um, and they've gone and explored somewhere completely different, not seen another human being, yeah. and had an amazing time. So if I can use my platform to do that kind of stuff um, and educate people on things like how to get their kit repaired, how to recycle their kit, because, um, like, it costs about door, you can recycle your kit um, and they'll either be taken apart and the bits reused or recycled, or they send it off to developing countries where the kit could be used. And when I spoke to managers in a store recently, I was like, how how much do people actually recycle? They're like, yeah, well, every week our bin is full and we're, people come and collect it. And it's like, wow. So it is something that's happening. It's something we could be doing more of. Yeah, and that's not. I I would say that that's not something that people think about until they're exposed to it. And conversations like these are, are making people think. Oh, I didn't realize. Or I've never thought about getting something repaired. You think, oh, if something's broken or not one hundred percent, like you said, you've done before with the tape, you know, or refilling the the stuff. Here, you can you can actually get that done, and it and it's so much more sustainable. And I think just knowing that it's a possibility 
because before, oh, yeah. I'm going to buy something new or like you said, having multiple jackets. No, I'm going to repair it and you know, having Cotswold there available to do it is, is fantastic. So it's, it's really interesting. I think and it's I just think also, knowing it, that it's there. Yeah. And I think also it's, we've got to, we've got to face it when you're standing at the top of a mountain or whatever. And if you're wearing a jacket covered in patches, <laughs> Um, that looks like you've been to a million places and you've achieved each one of these uh, of patches is a badge of honour. Um, if you're standing there with that jacket, you are damn sight cooler than the person standing in the brand new shiny top that's never been used. So, yeah, I'd say wear your patches with pride. Uh, you touched on it a few minutes ago about what's coming up next for you, but... What does 2023 hold? What does the future hold? Obviously, writing this book, that, that sounds like it's going to be amazing. But what's what's next for you in your in your adventure? In adventure world? Um, so I have very sadly got injured uh, 2018 while running um, the Cape Wrath Ultra. And I kind of did my ankle in and then I ran across Iceland with it. Then I did uh, the Transalpine run across the uh, Alps, and it's just never been quite right since. And I finally managed to get that fixed. And there's, uh, I've spent this kind of. I started off as a road runner, and I've done this kind of spiral through mountaineering, wilderness <laughs> hiking, bike bikepacking. And I think this year, I'm just. I know that the happiest place for me is running in the mountains. So, running in the mountains is going to be my next adventure. I've got like a 750, 800 kilometer. Uh, challenge that'll be in July. So basically, from now till then, I'm going to be doing little mini adventures, bike packing, probably hiking and trail running, working towards that adventure. And then that adventure will be training for the adventure I'm hoping to do in January 2024. It, it sounds so exciting. We, it, it's been a pleasure. It, genuinely, you can see the people that are watching on video will be able to see the, the genuine passion and interest on your face talking about the adventures but then also us chatting about the sustainability side of that as well and it's been fantastic to hear your thoughts and learn more about about your adventure but then also how we can all make you know join together to make things things better for the future so thank you so much the last thing that i need from you is a, a piece of advice and like i said it doesn't have to be about adventuring but i imagine it probably will be uh, for a guest that's coming on in the near future yeah, it's so I would caveat this with I've said it before, responsible, do this responsibly, but it's plan less. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time over planning everything and putting so much expectation on what they do. Plan less. And that means that you can either do a much bigger adventure or a much smaller adventure. It allows you to to know how you're feeling. If you, if you don't feel that you can do what you set out to do, then you can you can pull back and you can be safer or if you're doing really well, you can push yourself further and you'll never know what's around the corner. And that is what adventuring is. It's not knowing what you're going to discover. So just plan less because you see these people spending so much time killing their adventures by just planning it way too much. Think about safety. Think about having the best kit. Think about the kind of your limitations but then don't think about anything else and just enjoy being outside and active. I love that. It's a great way to finish. I look forward to passing that along. Jamie, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And with that, Series 7 of the Outside and Active podcast comes to a close. And it was a great way to finish the last two episodes 
with the help of Cotswold Outdoor, speaking to Helen and Jamie about such an important topic. I think we really talk about getting outside in this podcast and want to encourage and inspire people to get outside. But sometimes it's easy to forget that we need to do it in a sustainable way and think about how we can best protect the outdoors whilst we go on our adventures. So I hope you could take uh, quite a lot from those two episodes if you're listening to them both. If not, then you can go back to last week and check out Helen's as well as all of the other podcasts that are available. But make sure to stay tuned and uh, be ready for the next series and the next eight episodes of podcasts that we have coming up. Some great stories and some great laughs coming in the next series of the Outside and Active podcast. And let's grow this community. If you think you know someone who loves the outdoors and loves to be inspired just as much as you and think that they'd like to listen to this podcast on their run or their walk to work or on their bus or train journey, then pass it on to them and uh, let's grow this awesome community because it really is uh, growing and it's fantastic to see the new people engaging with the podcast and the episodes. I would also ask if you can to leave a review, it makes a massive difference and it means that you know we can reach out to other massive podcast guests like we've had on in the past and have more awesome conversations. So thank you for your support so far. We'll be back next week with another episode episode of the Outside and Active podcast. A final thank you to Cotswold Outdoor and the Save Our Outdoors campaign really has been appreciated. We'll be back next week. Until that time, enjoy the outdoors.